Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of First and Fifteenth. Um, I'm Joel Pulliam, and uh, for those who don't know, the first comes from the First Amendment, the right to free speech, and the Fifteenth from the Fifteenth Amendment, which is the right to vote. And I'm, I'm jump right into what we're going to talk about today. Um, I was reading a story. It was a, a, a PBS article, right? Uh, it was about a guy named Nathaniel Fields, and he originally was from Baltimore. And uh, he struggled with uh, housing insecurity his whole life. Um, I guess he didn't have his parents and he was staying with his granddaughter. And when he was 14, she passed away. And so he was jumping from house to house. He didn't know where to stay. Uh, he had a young child. And it kind of showed how eventually he made his way to New Orleans and it's it's a the the good ending is that he ends up being over the office of of homeless services and strategy in New Orleans. So they take care of those who are unhoused on the streets of New Orleans. And um, the article later on it, it talked about how homelessness in New Orleans has actually gone up fifteen percent, and which is ridiculous. And it talked about it was a story they told of a and I'm not going to say the lady's name. Um, but she was a single mother who had two daughters, age seven and 14. And they told about how, um, she had been struggling, uh, to make ends meet. And eventually they're thrown out their house. They, they, they jump from shelters to, to being on the streets to, you know, and that, that's kind of the cycle of homelessness. Uh, and it talked about how her and her two daughters, like three to four days a week would have to sit under bridges or on the street corner and you know ask people to help them when it came to food or money to get food because the snap benefits they had were running out and it just it hit me that first of all in the richest country that's ever existed we still have people who struggle like this in a city like new orleans where there are poverty is 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 rampant and homelessness is rampant the the, the bridge between the wealthy and the poor, it's like that all over in the United States, you know, uh, Detroit, you know, which is my birthplace, Detroit, Chicago, you see it everywhere, that gulf is widening, and um, it led me to look up some st statistics on, on poverty in America, and according to the U.S. Census Bureau, which is probably the best authority you're going to get on uh, poverty, 37.9 million Americans, as of 2022, 37.9 million Americans are living in poverty. And the definition of poverty, according to them, is when a family's total income is less than its threshold. So that means that what's needed to to feed yourself, what's needed to to live somewhere, what's needed for transportation, all those things, health care. If your family's total income is less than that for what it takes in your state to to get those things you're living in poverty and that 37.9 million that comes out to 11.6 percent of all americans over one in ten americans are living in poverty and there are some who say the estimate that i'm giving is way too low and when we break down uh poverty like according to different subgroups you get some really like startling like alarming numbers uh with black people 21 percent of black people which is one in five practically live in poverty and when it comes to native americans 25 percent, which is one in four of native americans live in poverty 
And, and these two numbers goes to show the lasting effects of America's original sins, you know, taking land away from Native Americans, stealing it, and then slavery and, and Jim Crow and, you know, the lasting effects of slavery. And so for when people say, hey, bootstraps and all those things, uh, these numbers show the lasting effects uh, from generation to generation of suppression, of oppression, of slavery. The proof's in the pudding. And when it comes to black people in particular, uh, it's slightly higher for older black people. Right. Think about it. Uh, the market's already ageist. Right. We don't uh, we don't hire elderly people for jobs when they should, you know. And again, the combine that with the greater need for health care, the older you get and that not a lot of Americans have health care. You combine those things and you can see somewhat why elderly people especially in the black community have higher rates of poverty and homelessness and while we're on the subject of age groups there's childhood poverty in america i believe the last thing i saw uh during the pandemic in 2020 i believe that the poverty rate was over 16 percent for children so 16 percent 2020 during the pandemic 16% of American children were living in poverty. That means not having the access to the food that they need, uh, not having access to, to, they don't have beds to sleep in, somewhere to lay their head. It, I just don't understand how in a country that has billionaires and we can have a guy go on a, a whatever he had, a midlife crisis, I don't know. Buy Twitter for $44 billion, just throw away to a company that he, he tanks, but we can't find money to help feed kids or to ensure that children aren't in poverty. And, and here's the thing. The good thing was that in 2021, right, there's a child tax credit passed. And, and the great thing about that was that it almost cuts child poverty temporarily in half, but it only lasts for a little bit because it runs out. And now child poverty is back on the rise again. And so unless we and, and the administration now, they're trying to pass a budget to where they get a $3,600 child tax credit. Like they're trying to restart it, but obviously Republicans are in the way. So, you know, that's a big fight. Right. But but it goes to show that government can help alleviate these problems when it comes to, to poverty in society. And when it comes to homelessness in America, these stats are also, I mean, they're, they're alarming. They're, it, it's disappointing, to be honest with you. Like, homelessness has been on the rise since 2017. And according to the National Alliance to End Homelessness, and they get their, their numbers from HUD, you know, which is the U.S. Department of, of Housing and Urban Development, they said um, over 420,000 Americans are homeless on on any given night but these are kind of like temporarily unhoused people so it, it could just be for one night for a week but it's not something that they're always in for those who are chronically homeless uh those who experience homelessness for at least like a year and while also struggling with a disability whether it be physical or mental those are over 120,000 americans and that's what, 18 out of 10,000? I'm pretty sure, just like with the poverty numbers, that's underselling because it's hard to get a survey of people who don't have homes. 
and and you know who are dealing with other issues and and it takes me back to this story i always talk about you know i went to this this christmas function at the white house right and um right like a hundred yards from the white house there was a homeless man who was sitting on a vent like just trying to stay warm it's really cold outside we're talking 30 something degrees and i thought to myself and i told my mom i was like you know this the, the most powerful person in the world sits resides in that house and like a hundred yards away there's someone struggling to survive the night so what does that say about this country you know what's the use of all the power all the riches all the resources that we have if we can't ensure that every American can at least have a place to stay for the night, somewhere to rest their head. And, and I don't want to forget also about our disabled brothers and sisters. 25% of disabled Americans also live in poverty and struggle with housing, struggle with job opportunities, struggle with to get something to eat. Like, think about it. This country's already ableist. And to add on top of that, one of four disabled Americans are experiencing poverty. I don't even know what to say about this country. Like, I think hopefully these numbers, if you're listening, they shock you. And into realizing that we are in a dilemma as a country. And, and it's one that doesn't belong to any particular administration since that for for all of America's existence, this has been a problem, and especially with those who look like me. And a lot of people wonder, like, how did we get to this position? How are we here? I'm going to tell you, it used to be even worse, right? In the 60s, it was as high as 22%. One out of every five Americans, period, were living in poverty. So I can only, I can't even imagine what black people are, probably like 50%, 40%. Um, and it really isn't until President Johnson, you know, he has he creates this thing called the war on poverty. And it's ambitious. Right. But you need that ambition in order to fight against something like poverty or homelessness, a, 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 an issue as large as that. Right. He, he passes in the Congress. They pass bills like the the Economic Opportunity Act and the Food Stamp Act and the Elementary and Secondary Education Act and the Social Security Act. Uh, you know, programs such as like Medicare, Medicaid and food stamps, they help create a safety net. And for those when I say safety net, it just means like federally funded, you know, programs that help. Keep people from falling through the cracks or help those who are already falling through the cracks get back on their feet. And. The crazy thing about it is that poverty rates were almost cut in half by the end of his administration. And but at the same time. It's the beginning of that backlash that we see today. You know how a lot of like conservatives, especially white conservatives, they, they talk about where welfare queens and about how you need to get off the government mule and handouts that starts after the Johnson administration. It's kind of a, a white lash to what to who his administration is helping. Remember, like during the Great Depression, I mean, I think you all well, you might not, but there's this famous picture of a mother with their children during the Great Depression and a white mother with their children and, and it's like the face of the Great Depression. And back then people were like, oh, we need, you know, they vote in FDR four times because they're like, oh, we need 
you know, the government needs to help Americans because Americans to them had a certain look, right? And so they were worthy of that help from the federal government. But once Johnson comes around, that starts to shift. Anything that is deemed to help black people or other marginalized groups, white people, for the most part, they, they, they turn against it, right? Obviously, the biggest part of the party switch is, you know, voting rights and civil rights, obviously. But this also plays a part, right? I want to let people know this. Most conservatives today, they're not innately like, oh, I'm conservative and I believe in small government always. No, they only believe in small government because, you know, big government started to help black people who look like me, started to help other marginalized groups. That's when big government was a no-no. Like I talked about in one of the previous episodes, a lot of white, the Dixiecrats, Democrats, they were Democrats for a reason. They loved the government help. Now, nah. But I would tell you this, if it went back to the federal government only helping white people, then they would be in favor of it again. That's why I say that it's not an innate principle that conservatives have. You start to see around this time, like the Nixon with the Southern strategy, you really see with Reagan, right? Uh, The whole, you know, he starts in Philadelphia, Mississippi, the place, you know, where the the three civil rights workers, Goodman, Cheney, Schwerner, they're they're murdered. He, He runs on states' rights. He talks about this story about this. This mythical, not even the welfare queen who has hundreds of chiefs. She makes what? I think he said over like $100,000 or something like that. All the federal handouts. He made all this up. But it it, it goes into the, the thought process that a lot of the GOP, no, all the GOP has today. That anybody who is getting help from the federal government, oh, they're just getting... They're just getting handouts. And and I'm going to say something. After all that this country has put people like me through or other marginalized groups, they, they died. Look, I believe black people deserve reparations. But like when it comes to, to giving money to people, what's wrong with that if they need help? But not only is it a misconception that all federal money is just like money in people's pockets because federal monies, they also send aid to schools. They, they, they help with job training. They help with public housing initiatives, the job core. So, again, this whole thing about welfare queens and government mule and you need to get up and get a job and stop looking for handouts. It's all a myth based in, in, in white supremacy. But back to Johnson, his administration, it shows that the federal government can help alleviate poverty. And it had me thinking, like, what are some of the solutions for today that we can do to help, you know, get people out of poverty? Um, One we talked about in the previous episode is raising the minimum wage. A livable wage is technically, I think, according to MIT, $25.02 an hour. So about $25 an hour is what you need to live in this country, a comfortable life, to where you're not worrying about what you're going to eat tomorrow. And millions of Americans don't even make $15. The, the federal minimum wage is $7.25. So upping that up to $25 would help tremendously. Um, another thing is universal health care. Uh, if, if people had a place to, because again, we talked about it. A lot of people who are on the streets, um, they could be elderly. They have physical disabilities. That would help, you know, uh, uh, 
people can lose their homes because of medical bills, right? If we had universal health care, that wouldn't happen. Uh, access to, to, to mental re- uh, health care resources, that would help. And that for me, that would fall under universal health care. And, and the big thing is expanding the social safety net. We talked about the child tax credit um, and how it helped childhood poverty, like it almost cut it in half. We need to, to keep that. We need to restart it. Uh, we need uh, housing assistance. We need uh, uh, expanded SNAP benefits so people can feed their kids. Um, we need expanded accessibility to these programs. That would help a lot. And I think one thing... Uh, oh, and also when it comes to veterans, it's it's kind of a shame that, you know, for a party... In, Honestly, for a country that that says that they care about the military and, you know, all this and we send people over there to fight unjust wars. And when they come back, you can't even give them a place to stay. You can't even ensure that the rate of homelessness in the veteran community is is crazy. So, you know, hopefully these numbers show you kind of the myth of America taking care of its own because it doesn't. And I think something that we don't realize is just the personal um, damage it does to people. Look, my parents, they gave us a great life, so I'm not even complaining. Their people have way worse. Like, I've lived in, in good places. But there have also been times, because my dad's a pastor, the ebbs and flows of ministry, there are times we struggle. I mean, struggle. I could tell you, even when I worked at UPS, it's not easy working all those hours and coming home, you know, and even if it's for a little bit or even if it's sporadic or just for, you know, a season, it messes with your mind. And people don't talk about that. You know, it, it leaves you with almost a paranoia that something will be taken from you or that you're going to be evicted out your house. You can't even enjoy things because you're worried that someone will take it for, from you. And people don't think about that, especially when it comes to kids. Can you imagine the effect it has on a child that the insecurity of where what they're going to eat where they're going to lay their head if they're going to have clothes that will mess someone's brain up can you imagine someone who has to be homeless an elderly person or just someone in their adult years for years on the street and how hard it would be to come back from that even if you get the help like you get housing it still has mental effects on you and that for people who had it way worse than me because again i had a good life i might have struggled a little bit at times but that stuff, I'm telling you from personal, it it leaves things in you. And, and and the mental scars are there. And so that's something that we need to be aware of. It's not just the outwardly effects of poverty or even homelessness. You know, it's not that oh it's not just I can't eat. It's not that, oh man, you know, they're going hungry, they don't have they you know, they haven't washed. It's also the mental damage it does to people and, and, and the emotional damage it does to people. So that's something you really need to think about every time you think of those who are impoverished or who are homeless. And as I said before, my dad's a pastor, so I really wanted to take some time and address American Christians. Because the American church, first of all, has butchered the gospel. It has. It's been at the forefront of most of the grievances in American history. And even modern day now, 
a lot of American Christians, they don't follow the creed of Jesus Christ and what he calls for. You know, I'm not going to preach to y'all, but, you know, I'm going to pull a few scriptures. You got Acts 20 and 35. And it says, I've showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And in Matthew uh, 5 and 35, it says, you know, because they asked Jesus, what does it take to get into the kingdom of heaven? And they said, he said, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. But also later on in the chapter, he says, He'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed in the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. So those were the things it took. Not the, you know, going to church three times a week and always tithing. While those are good things, that's not enough. The, the challenge is how you care for his people. And to that, you know, the Washington Post, they did a poll a while back. And 46% of Christians believe that poverty is because of a lack of effort. And that's compared to 29% of non-Christians. Think of that. Now, Christians, we, we like to say, man, we care about people and Jesus to the end. You're not even doing the simplest of things. You, you don't even have empathy for those who are going through. You don't have. I want to I want to I want to address this about uh, a lack of effort or you're where you're at because of the decisions you made. So are you telling me that that the, the, the kid whose dad is a billionaire and they inherit that money. What? They they worked harder at life than than the veteran who comes home to nothing? You telling me Donald Trump works harder than the single mom who has three kids and is trying to make it and, and can't secure housing? He works more than she does? See, the the the, the ignorance of this logic is is that you look at the outcome and you just in this life, oh, well, if they're rich, they must have done good. Life doesn't work like that. There's a lot of things that have to line up for you to do well in this life. And instead of being humble and being like, I'm thankful for where I'm at, you're going to try to disparage people who are struggling, who work harder than any of us? I mean, you know, uh, someone like uh, who's on social media, you see it all the time where the influencers and people who are, who are like the business gurus, like they make it seem like, well, if you do all these right things, all this will come to you, and and and, and the reason that you are are where you're at is because you're lazy. That life, let me tell y'all, that's all a lie. A lot of good things have to line up for you to make it in this life. If that's the case, then how come are you saying what well, white people, especially for the let me see, thirty two percent of black Christians, let, let me say that, and that's disappointing in itself. Believed in that whole well, you know, if. It's a lack of effort, and that's the reason you're poor. So I want to ask those people in particular, brother, sister, so you're telling me that the reason white people are richer than black people is because they work harder than us? You see how ignorant that sounds? It, it also takes me back to the story of Nicodemus. Talking about the selfishness of a lot of people who say they're God's people. Nicodemus in the Bible asked Jesus, like, what does it take to get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, well, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and follow him. 
And, and Nicodemus is like, uh, and, and it reflects so many Christians, right? Too many Christians have made money their God. They worship at the altar of greed and capitalism. And they show a selfishness that doesn't resemble Jesus, the person that they say, God, who they say they follow. You can't be following Jesus if you're selfish. You, you'll let people who don't even adhere to Christianity. How do you when it comes to following that principle of Jesus Christ? That's crazy. And it's like we become, we resemble the nation that, that, remember when, you know, I'm not trying to preach or anything like that. When, when Jesus comes, well, before he, he does, uh, God described Israel as being a nation that, you know, didn't take care of his widows, of his orphans, of his poor. And America resembles that. In, in, the, in the Christian, the American church definitely resembles that. It's like you can't say you're somebody's brother and sister and, and you won't even give them the time of day because they're poor. We also need to talk about like what the church gets wrong a lot. While it's, it's, it's good that the mega churches give the $10,000 check to you know the food bank or $20,000 over here to the homeless shelter, those are good. But you can't offset that by then giving $100,000 to a candidate that wants to cut or a politician that wants to cut food stamps. You know, that wants to cut housing assistance. You can't, like, that That doesn't even make sense. So it begs the question, are you, are you giving just to look good, to alleviate yourself of guilt? Because how are you going to do that and then at the same time put in people, put people and support people in power who are trying to hurt poor people? It just seems like you're doing these things to look good, but your heart's far away from God. Because in the end, you're doing things that help uphold poverty. And so that's why people fall away from the church. I'm going to be honest. I get it. And I'm not saying it like I'm the best Christian in the world because I'm not. I don't I'm not a preacher or anything. But we got to care for poor people. And to, and, and, and to look down on people and say, well, you're at where you're at. Like, are you like, what are we doing? Is this American Christianity or just American capitalism with, you know, God on the top, you know, just sprinkled a little bit. Because that's what it is at this point. And when you give, you shouldn't be thinking about what the person's going to do with it. That ain't the point. That's not the point of giving. Like, it, it, it shouldn't matter. Okay, what did you do to, to get in this position? None of that should really matter to you. You should be giving because that's just out of your heart. It shouldn't come with, with, with strings attached. You give because you want to give without expecting anything in return. Like like philanthropy and giving to the poor and taking care of it is not a transactional thing. You know what you get out of it? You get your soul. You you get going to bed at night knowing like I helped people or just going to bed knowing that someone's life is better because of what you did. And that's all enough. And heck, even if no one ever recognizes you, it's just the right thing to do. So instead of asking, like, every time you see a homeless person or a person struggling with poverty, instead of asking, oh, man, why are you here? What did you do to get here? Ask yourself, why are you here? You know, what all had to line up for you to be here? And then ask yourself, why are you here? What's your purpose? 
Why are you truly here? Maybe ask yourself that. And, and, and one final thing I want to talk about is just how we, we, we frame poverty. I want to leave you with this stat. Poverty was the fourth leading cause of death in 2019, with 183 Americans either 15 years old or older being killed by poverty. And I think the reason we don't think of, of, of it in, in the sense of like we do crime or car accidents where we, we, we reform things. I mean, we need to reform more when it comes to gun laws, but that's a different subject. It's because we don't see poor people or homeless people as regular citizens. We still see them as others. Like, think about it. Like the, the serial killer in Long Island, you know, that, you know, it's, it's terrible. But imagine what America would have done if it had been 10, 8, 9, 10 doctors who were killed or lawyers. Well, we will move heaven and earth and rightfully so. But because a lot of them are sex workers, we don't think of them as full human beings. Whether they're a sex worker or they, they, they struggle uh, with money and finances, whether they're homeless, there's certain people or, or they, they struggle with drugs. There's certain occupations and, and certain circumstances that people are in to where Americans don't see them as full human beings. And that's what I'm trying to change with people's mindset is that a homeless person is worth the same as a doctor is worth the same as a teacher is worth the same as the housewife is worth the same as as the firefighter. They're all worth the same. And that's the lens we have to see people through is that they are people and they're worthy of our love, our time and our efforts to help alleviate poverty. So with that, I want to thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you can. We're trying to reach as many people as possible and really amplify voices from marginalized groups. Um, and I'll leave you with this and I always say it, there's nothing wrong with being upset because passion only means one thing. That you're still alive. God bless.